0: Welcome, glad to have you with us. 11.07, Dave Rowland, about uh, oh, about 10 minutes from now. Uh, after six months of waiting, a St. Louis judge has authorized John Solomon uh, to pursue records from Kim Gardner's office. We'll talk about that in the Second Amendment Preservation Act, among other things. Uh, if you were listening just a few minutes ago, I was talking about jury nullification, uh, because I have been... Uh, I've been uh, I'm... I'm I'm going to be a juror. At least I might be a juror. We'll find out. Um, But I believe in jury nullification. If I think that the law is unconstitutional, I'm just not going to find somebody guilty. Uh, I have to uh, follow my conscience, and I think that's following the law. Uh, Some people um, don't particularly care for this, uh, probably prosecutors mostly. But I do. I think that it is the right thing to do. Um, I would not put somebody in jail for smoking marijuana or selling marijuana. If they were selling it to a kid, that might be different, but I'd have to have the details. Um, There are, you know, prostitution. I would not prosecute someone for prostitution. Neither the guy nor the girl, or, or who knows what combination that might end up being because it's not my job to to punish one or the other they're both willing participants you club somebody over the head now you got a case Uh, and I can find someone guilty for that but victimless crimes I'm afraid I just don't see them as as worthy uh, of even being on the books Uh, let me go to the phones here Les is on the line Les good morning how are you
1: Good morning, Gary. Uh, I fit all those demographics of, of that perfect juror. I vote all the time. I owe property. Uh, pay my taxes. I've been on several juries. I've been on a grand jury. I've also told a judge that I believe in jury notification. Uh, the prosecutor said, well, everybody here listen and, and follow the judge's instructions. And I said, well... Because I did not want to be on this case. I said, I raised my hand and said, well, if I don't believe in the law that is charged, I will disregard what the judge said. And the prosecutor goes, this person, to all the other jurors, this person is what a judge and a prosecutor hates. This guy thinks he can take the law into his own hands. Well, folks, he actually can. He has that constitutional right to judge not only the person but also the law. Jurors that are exp- uh, that are selected, and Gary, you're not going to be selected. Jurors that are selected <laughs> are ones. You sound that- so
0: confident that I'm going to get rejected.
1: Uh, because I've seen your smile and your disposition and other things, and it's like, oh, no, no, not this guy. He knows too much. He knows too much. Jurors are picked to, for the prosecutor to win, to win. When I was on the grand jury, all the, the prosecutor brought forth to us were, were, were cases that the prosecutor should have brought forth anyway without a, a grand jury these uh defense attorneys they're straw men, they're all straw men that 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 if they're provided by the county and whatever, they don't care if they lose. they want to be on the judge's good side and on the prosecutor's good side. they're getting paid a stipend. Prosecutors bring charges for char- for cases that they know they can win, and most jurors will go this person has been charged because they broke the law. And and I've I've debated several times that the, the 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 prosecutor has not made his case, and that the defense attorney has not defended this guy. So I've, I've talked a, a jurors out of charges, and I that the jurors will flip and go, well, he's probably done something that he did. well, yeah. But not on this case. not on this case. Not on this case.
0: All right, Les, thank you for the call. Glad to have you on the Gary Nolan Show. I don't know. Les doesn't think I can get picked. (laughs) He made it sound like it it just cannot happen. Uh, Let's wrap it up with Sharon in Springfield. Good morning.
2: Good morning, Gary. Uh, I believe in jury nullification, and I also believe that a person who is a potential juror Uh, has to let uh, the judge or the attorney know that they may have a possible bias going in. 70 years ago, I was the victim in an extreme child abuse case, and my uh, case ended up in the courts in the state of California. I would not want to sit on a jury where they were going to decide in the case of child abuse. And I would let them know that, because I do not know, I really don't know if I could be unbiased. And I think people have a responsibility to let the judge and the attorneys know that.
0: Yeah, but that is not the same as uh, jury nullification. Uh, But you're absolutely right. You would have that obligation. All right, Sharon, thank you for the call. Glad to have you on the Gary Nolan Show, 874-9390-800-529-5572. Dave Roland, uh, MoFreedom.org. This is a guy that likes to sue the government to protect your freedom, and he does it all the time. If you think the government is doing you wrong, you go to his website and solicit his help. Now, he doesn't charge. He doesn't charge for his help uh on on those cases. But he does rely on donations. Uh I've donated and uh, friends of mine, even some people who you've heard on this program have donated. Uh if you if you can, head over there and, and drop a couple of bucks for him. Uh because well it'll help somebody protect their freedom. Uh there is a flag debate in Massachusetts And Senator Elizabeth Warren is, of course, on the wrong side of the issue. Uh, There's a piece by Jonathan Turley. Various groups and now Senator Warren are pushing to replace the seal and flag of the state as racist in promoting white supremacy culture. I admit, he writes, that I tend to react instinctively in opposition to the removal of historic images or memorials. Over the Massachusetts flag dispute seems strikingly similar to the debate we recently had and lost at George Washington over our moniker, the Colonels. According to activist Marianne Vesey, the uh, state flag and seal depict a colonization and violent depiction that is really supporting the fact that white people are in charge of this world and that we have to subdue the Native American people. I've been to Massachusetts. I've seen their flag. I guarantee you I never looked at it and thought anything about white people subduing minorities. Uh, This emblem goes back uh, to 1775. Uh, It was adopted by Governor John Hancock in his government in 1780. The seal and the flag have gone through changes through the years. But it does not, I think, I, I, I would be stunned if anybody looked at that flag and went, wow, that's racist. It just I just don't think that happens. Most people probably don't even know what's on the damn flag. But Elizabeth Warren ever so woke, thinks it's got to come down. All right, we got to move on. Dave Rowland is next. It's the Gary Nolan show on the Zimmer Radio network. It is 19 minutes after 11 o'clock time for Dave org. Dave, we were just chatting about uh, jury nullification because I've been (laughs) some I've got jury duty uh, and I've got a deep and abiding suspicion that they're probably not going to accept me as a juror But I do believe in jury nullification you're an attorney. What do you think?
3: I absolutely love jury nullification. It's a deeply embedded part of the American legal system. And it is an absolute shame that courts actually go out of their way to try and prevent jurors from exercising their right to make decisions in accordance with what they believe is right and just rather than what the court tells them they are supposed to do. Um, you know, part of, part of the basis for our jury system uh, was that jurors are not only permitted to decide whether a criminal defendant did the things that they were alleged to have done, but they were also allowed to decide whether the law was justly being applied to the decriminal defendant. Um, and over the years, um, courts became really uncomfortable, with the possibility that jurors might decide to acquit defendants, even though um, the government showed beyond a reasonable doubt that the defendant did the things that would constitute a criminal offense. Um, And so they they started basically trying to roll back the jurors' authority, the jurors' ability um, to make their decisions in accordance with their consciences um and and i think it's had some pretty negative effects
0: i was reading a case about a guy who came home and found somebody was some guy was uh, molesting his 2 year old or uh, uh, one or two year old uh and he beat him within an inch of his life uh and they charged him as well as the molester um but the jury nullified uh, the decision uh, it, they had him dead to rights He admitted he beat the guy, um, but they didn't think it was just uh, to punish him under those circumstances.
3: Uh. Yeah, so let's make clear for the listeners, when we're talking about nullifying um, a a prosecution, the jurors are effectively saying, even if the, the government proved a certain set of facts, we refuse to convict, we decline, to impose criminal liability on the defendant so that's that 's what we mean when we 're talking about jury nullification um, and uh, and yeah I, I think that that the the old phrase used to be No jury in the country would convict you know so and so for what they did that 's a reference to jury nullification. The fact that jurors can come into a case and say, even if what this person did technically was illegal, um, we think it was absolutely justified. Right. Um, and now I will say that, that it is an imperfect system. And so, um, I, I don't want to be kind of a Pollyanna and suggest that, um, jury nullification would solve all problems in our criminal justice system. Um, for example, one thing that has been pointed out is, um, in certain areas, you might have racially disproportionate effects from this. Um, you know, you might have juries exonerating certain people or people of a certain group while dropping the hammer on people of a different group. Um, That would be a problem, but I don't think that that by itself is sufficient to say, well, we're just not going to let juries exercise their actual judgment in this case at all. Again, this is a, a pretty deeply ingrained element of the American judicial system, and it's one that has significantly gone by the wayside in recent years. Like listeners, if you're interested in the way that courts are currently using or not using juries, look up the work being done by Clark Neely. Um, He is a vice president with the Cato Institute working in the area of criminal justice, and he speaks and writes at length about the ways that um, prosecutors are either trying to hamstring juries or to avoid jury trials at all and he talks about kind of the deep constitutional um importance of juries both in terms of um deciding whether the government put on enough evidence but also in deciding what's correct as a matter of justice um so so he's definitely somebody to look up if if listeners are interested Okay,
0: I just wanted to get that out of the way, because, well, I'm going to be doing jury duty. Do do you think a prosecutor
3: would be uh, inclined to reject someone uh, like me? You know, it's always hard to tell. Um, So, my wife ended up on a jury. Um, Ordinarily, attorneys do not like to have attorneys on juries. Um, And so, we kind of expected that with Jennifer not only being an attorney, but also being an avowed libertarian... That that might, uh, encourage the prosecutor to remove her from the jury pool. They did not. And she ended up being the foreperson of a, of a criminal trial in, in St. Louis City, uh, a little more than a decade ago. Um, so ordinarily, I would say that prosecutors might be disinclined to have avowed libertarians on juries, but you never can tell. So. All right. Maybe you'll get excluded from the jury pool. Maybe you won't. If you end up on the jury, I say do justice, man. Yeah,
0: my intention entirely. After six months of waiting, St. Louis City Judge has authorized John Solomon to get more records from Kim Gardner's office. Uh, if, is she Speaking of prosecutors. Yeah. <laughs> is she
3: giving up these? I thought she wasn't giving these up these records so she she didn't want to um we got a court order saying you've got to turn over the records we went up to the court of appeals the court of appeals agreed with us she's got to turn over the records uh we went back down to the trial court the trial court said turn over the records and she turned over some records but not others and so we went back to the judge and we said well look okay she's produced some of these records But the order quite clearly required her to cast a broader net than she did, and we should be allowed to go and pursue these additional records. Well, we made these arguments last July. The last arguments I think, got filed in August on this issue, and the judge sat on it for six months. But last week, or uh, earlier this week, the judge came back and he said, you know what? You're right. Um, there's a very strong possibility that she is withholding records she was supposed to turn over. Go get them. And so uh, we're, we're really excited that we're going to have uh, another crack at finding records that she has fought for four years now to try and keep hidden. And this is, these are records Um, involving her communications with other people about whether or not she was going to prosecute then-Governor Eric Greitens. So, in particular, uh, we have very strong reason to believe that she was in communication with George Soros, uh, that she was in communication with other really big liberal donors um, in advance of filing any charges. The implication being that maybe she was saying hey, if I go after this Republican governor, will you funnel some more money in my direction? Um, Now, we don't know for a fact that that's what the conversations entailed, but we really strongly suspect that the conversations were taking place, and what we want is the records that prove that the conversations were taking place. That's what she's been trying to keep hidden for four years.
0: So, um, When the judge says, go get him, does that mean you guys get to march in there into the office uh, and demand and uh, and and go through emails, computers, etc. Or does that mean she uh, has to produce them?
3: Man- huh? So so it's actually even better than that, Gary. So we suspect that these conversations were taking place using private communications devices. In other words, personal computers, personal cell phones, and the the order that we got from the court said they've got to produce. The communications, the records of communications that took place on these personal devices. Um, So it's not as simple as just walking into the circuit attorney's office and saying, let us search your work computers. We are now being given the opportunity to demand that they produce records from their personal devices, personal computers, personal cell phones. And we have every Belief that that's going to reveal um, these communications taking place between Kim Gardner and members of her office and these uh, these other folks uh, about her decision whether or not to charge the governor. So so yeah, it's it's pretty exciting that we're getting this opportunity. It may take another couple of months to play out. Um, undoubtedly, they're going to try and throw up some more roadblocks. Uh, but but basically we're we're still in the hunt for this, and we have uh, a very strong signal from the court that that he's going to let us see it through.
0: Is there a, a legal implication against Kim Gardner uh, if, in fact, she was in communication with George Soros and did prosecute for political reasons?
3: Uh, no, because Governor Greitens waived his right to sue kim gardner or her office when he reached a plea deal so one of the issues that was being discussed at the time the case was getting ready to go to trial uh i actually had a trial in st louis city court at the same time that the the trial was supposed to take place all right well hang on because i'm up against the clock hang on
0: hang on i gotta take this break get the news come back and get more of this and then sapa and others uh other stories this is the gary nolan show a Champion of Liberty likes to sue the government to protect your freedom. He is Dave Rowland, Uh mofreedom.org and uh, we got a bunch of cases here. I'm 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 going to just have to move along cuz I am so far behind. Um, we talked briefly uh, yesterday about the uh, Second Amendment Preservation Act. Uh, the Attorney General apparently has uh, got to stay on this, am I right?
3: Oh, I haven't seen that. If it's happened, I, I know that he said he was going to ask for one. Um, sometimes these things move quickly, and and there may have been a development that I haven't seen yet. Uh, but but ultimately, just to bring everybody up to speed, in case you hadn't heard from earlier this week, um, the judge in the federal SEPA case uh, issued his ruling that he thinks SEPA is unconstitutional. This was not unexpected. Um, the judge was an Obama appointee, and we knew that it was very possible that um, that he might decide that he really just didn't like the policy and would come to the conclusion that it was unconstitutional. Um, you know, I, uh, I don't know if you saw it, Gary, but I sent Brian uh, a link that the 10th Amendment Center put up here in the last couple of days, where they talk about um, the deep ideas of the Second Amendment Preservation Act and the way that courts have dealt with similar laws across the country, in particular, the way that they've dealt with laws in California that, that banned state and local officials from assisting in enforcing immigration laws. Uh, Oregon had a very similar provision. and courts have upheld those laws and in principle they're exactly the same as SEPA. um one of the basic ideas of our federal system is that the states get decide for themselves uh how they're going to control their state and local law enforcement officers and if that means that a state decides as a matter of policy we're not going to assist in the enforcement of certain federal laws that we think are improper or unjust. States get to make that decision. It's part of federalism. Um, the courts in these other cases recognize that. Judge Wimes, in the SEPA case here, um, basically said, well, I think this is a really bad policy, and so I'm going to hold it unconstitutional. The case is going to go up to the Eighth Circuit. Um, I think that there's a very good chance that the Eighth Circuit upholds SEPA, at least in the majority of its parts. Um, There are a couple of aspects about the bill that maybe the Eighth Circuit could say, uh, well, we're going to strike this part down. I don't think that's likely, though. I I think that... um, as a whole, Sapa is absolutely constitutionally defensible, um, and I think that we are going to see ultimately a good decision from the Eighth Circuit or maybe even the U.S. Supreme Court. There's no guarantee that the case would get up to the U.S. Supreme Court, but it's a possibility. Um, it's a big issue. A number of different states have followed Missouri's lead in adopting provisions like Sapa. Um, And so it may well be that the U.S. Supreme Court says, all right, let's clarify um, what the federal government is and is not allowed to do in terms of, um, you know, rejecting the state policies that that limit uh, state and local law enforcement's cooperation on these federal laws that the states think are unconstitutional. It's kind of like jury nullification for states. Um, All right. Yeah, very
0: similar. Let's move on. A guy is uh, holding a sign, standing in the on the side of the road, uh, saying that the police are you know up the street here. And uh, the police officer sees him, comes over, uh, takes a sign, tells him he can't do that. He turns around, and gets a bigger sign, moves to a slightly different location. The cop sees him again and arrests him. And it goes to court. The outcome. The That's outcome is
3: this is constitutionally protected behavior, um, and and you know it shouldn't even be a surprise at this point. Uh, in Missouri, a few years back, there was a case involving um, flicking your bright Lights. light to yes. let somebody know that yeah. Um, and and so courts all over the country have held that the symbolic speech. Of flashing your lights to let people know that there's uh, a speed trap ahead is protected speech in this case in Connecticut, it wasn 't symbolic speech at all. The guy directly wrote on a piece of cardboard cops ahead. This is speech pure and simple, and the fact that he got arrested is absolutely insane um, this, and the court thought so too the, you know the story goes on and talks about um a similar sign that had been held up, uh, in 2018 where somebody stood outside the police department and held up a sign, uh, that, that said, uh, basically F free speech dash Stanford PD. In other words, suggesting that the local police department was saying, uh, you know, that, that free speech was unimportant, shall we say. Mm -hmm. Um, and he got arrested too. So it seems like these these police officers in Connecticut uh, just have, number one, no sense of humor, and number two, no understanding or appreciation for the First Amendment. Well, Citizens have the right not only to criticize police, but also to let other people know, hey, the police are out today, maybe watch your speed.
0: Dave Rowland, org, on the Gary Nolan Show. Let me ask you, does this, this guy who was arrested and had to, uh, you know, go through all of that does he get to sue the city for the abuse
3: so i believe that the next question that's going to be asked is uh qualified immunity i think the court is going to consider whether the officers in this case get qualified immunity i don't think they will i think it is firmly established in first amendment law that citizens have the right to let each other know uh if the police are out and about and, uh, and so I, I would anticipate a positive ruling that there is no quali- uh, qualified immunity for the officers involved in this arrest. Got to move on. And
0: this is the one I've really kind of been jonesing to get to. Uh, the curious rise, you write, of Supreme Court doctrine that threatens Biden's
3: agenda. What is that Doctrine. So the doctrine is called the Major Questions Doctrine. It hasn't been called that for very long. The first time that it was described in those terms was just about five, six years ago. Um, But what it involves is how much discretion federal agencies have to claim authority for themselves. That's what it boils down to. About 40, 45 years ago, the U.S. Supreme Court said, basically, if there's any question about whether a federal agency has a certain authority, has been given a certain authority by Congress, then the courts are supposed to defer to the agency's judgment. In other words, it would take a really, really big overstep for the courts to reverse the um, a agency's determination about the power that the federal government has given it effectively that allows the agencies to be judges in their own cases like the idea that the courts are supposed to defer to an administrative agency's interpretation of the law is really pretty ridiculous but that has been the law in the country for the better part of four four to half decades now in more recent years The Supreme Court has started to kind of second guess that policy, but they didn't want to do it directly. And so what they said is, well, although this is the general rule and they call it the Chevron rule because the case that produced it uh, involved Chevron, uh, they said, although Chevron is the general rule, sometimes the. The extent of the authority being claimed by the agency is so broad and so extensive and so consequential that it constitutes a major question, and we no longer defer to the agency's uh, assessments of its own authority. Would, be, would an example um, of this be the, the case with the
0: uh, EPA? I think it was Tennessee.
3: Yes, that that would be one of them. Another one of them might be the uh, the student loan case. So, the major questions doctrine has become a way for the more conservative justices on the Supreme Court to kneecap or work around this Chevron doctrine um, that had given these agencies so much discretion and so much. Uh, wiggle room when it came to the authority that they were exercising. So now the conservative majority on the U.S. Supreme Court really seems to be embracing this major questions doctrine, and it may ultimately signal the death of the Chevron doctrine, which, to be clear, I think is a good thing. I never thought it was a good idea for courts to Um, give so much deference to these federal agencies that was never appropriate. And maybe it's going to lead to the end of that. The one issue I do raise with this, though, Gary, is I don't like it when courts do these end runs around their own doctrines. I would much prefer if they just came straight up and reassessed the precedent and said, you know what, we got this wrong, instead of chipping away at the edges or trying to avoid the earlier cases. And, and that's what they're really doing here. They haven't wanted to take on Chevron directly, and that's why they came up with this new so-called doctrine to allow them to get the results that they wanted without directly overruling Chevron. But ultimately, I think that the result here is going to be a positive one because it will uh, eliminate a significant extent of the discretion that courts have been giving these federal agencies. Dave Rowland,
0: our guest, MoveFreedom.org. On the World Wide Web, we've got to uh, take a quick break. But when we come back, uh, Republicans in Florida, what were you thinking? This is insanity. That's next on The Gary Nolan Show, the Zimmer Radio Network. It is uh, 1152. Dave Rowland is our guest. Uh, he is uh, the principal attorney at uh, mofreedom.org. Likes to sue the government to protect your freedom. Uh, going over some cases. Uh, so uh, we covered the Supreme Court doctrine uh, that may threaten Biden's agenda. Uh, it's kind of reverse of uh, what we've seen over the years where the, you know the EPA comes in and says, we have this authority and the courts defer to them. Now they're actually being challenged. I, I like that. Uh, but the Republicans are doing something in Florida that I, it's like, how in the hell did you decide you're going to, from what planet did you write this? Uh, Florida bill is going to require bloggers to
3: register if they talk about
0: the legislature
3: and pay a fine? yeah yeah th- this is one of the more bizarre bills that i have seen it's not completely unprecedented uh gary if you remember a few years back our friend ron calzone found himself targeted by the missouri ethics commission um and they said he had to report and uh and register as though he was a professional lobbyist even though all he was doing was going down and sharing his ideas about free markets and limited government with our elected officials. Um, Fortunately, the Freedom Center of Missouri, working with our friends at the Institute for Free Speech, we won a really important judgment saying that violated the First Amendment to require an ordinary citizen to register with the government before engaging in free speech. Um, That's basically what Florida is trying to do here. They're saying, if you are posting on the internet about elected officials, whether they be executive officials or legislative officials, they're saying you have to register with the government and then you have to file reports with the government. Um, Now, I think it's really important. uh, we, We pointed out that Ron was being treated like a professional lobbyist, even though no one was paying him for his opinions. That's what lobbyists do, right, is they are paid not to represent their own opinions, but to represent other people's opinions to elected officials. Um, And because there's this financial element involved, and you're talking about trying to persuade elected officials, courts have generally said, you can require professional lobbyists to register. But with Ron, he wasn't being paid, so there was no question of him being a professional lobbyist. And in Florida, the question is, if these people are being paid, but they are not trying to persuade any elected official on a policy position, they're still being required to register and report to the government as though they are lobbyists. So in, in a sense, this is kind of a different face of the same problem that Ron Calzone faced in Missouri. Um, there's simply no justification for this. Like, it's one thing if people are being paid to go and try and change the minds of those who wield power but this is just people sharing ideas and information with other ordinary citizens i can't i can't fathom any possible legitimate reason that the government can require someone to register with the state and file reports with the state Simply because they happen to be talking about elected officials and how they do their jobs. Well, it's
0: just, just that, that these that are is politicians. The bill of
3: consideration in Florida.
0: These are politicians who back up under the flag and swear to uphold the Constitution of the United States and the state of Florida. How can they uphold it if they
3: don't understand free speech? Well, that's a problem that we see across the board. Unfortunately, Gary, there are a handful of politicians who really really get the importance of constitutional limits on government but unfortunately so many politicians both conservative and liberal think well legislation is just a tool for me to shape society the way that i want it constitution you know be darned and and i think that that's part of what we are seeing in florida and and one of the things that concerns me is sometimes people get so wrapped up in Partisanship that they are willing to let constitutional issues slide. Um, the the conservatives in Florida ought to be up in arms about this, and they ought to be holding their elected officials to account, saying, "Hey, look, it's one thing to you know support Republicans when they are espousing truly conservative values. This is not a conservative value, and we're going to hold you account if you support it." Um, And, you know, I don't know yet what the voters are going to do here. Fortunately, it seems like although the original suggestions were that Governor DeSantis was on board with this, it now appears that he is not. And so I don't think that this is going to actually become a law in Florida, but it never should have been proposed in the first place blatantly unconstitutional, and contrary to the values that so many conservative Republicans claim to hold. Um, you know, we got to call people out when when they are not putting their money where their mouth is when it comes to the values that they claim to uphold. And so often they'll pass a law that, that uh, you, you'll
0: think, well, that'll be good for us, uh, not recognizing or thinking ahead that we may not always be in charge, and that those right, laws exactly. can be used from the other side
3: just yeah that's absolutely correct the law is a double-edged sword and and too frequently when one party establishes a, a, a very significant degree of power in the legislature they start to enact laws as though they will always be the ones holding power one day i guarantee you one day democrats are going to have a majority of the seats in the missouri general assembly again it may not be in the next couple of decades but one day it's going to happen and the lawmakers now should be proposing bills and passing bills with the understanding that someday people that you don't agree with are going to hold these reins of power and then you will reap the whirlwind and and we the country would be so much better place if voters understood that um, even more probably than than the legislators themselves, because then the voters would persuade the legislators not to do these stupid things. We got to run. We're
0: out of time. Dave Roland, MoFreedom.org slash donate. Thank you for being with us. Thank you, Gary. Whatever it is in life that you want, go out and get it. Don't wait for the government to drop it in your
3: lap. You make it happen. You seize the day. Carpe diem. Gwen, baby. Honey, I'm coming home.